Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing the stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us for episode 17. I'm your host, Stephanie Jabauer, here with my co-host, Deaconess Tiffany Manor, and our special guest today is Dr. Leo Sanchez. Dr. Sanchez, along with having many other titles, is a professor of systematic theology and director of the Center for Hispanic Studies at Concordia Seminary St. Louis. And if I'm remembering right, Dr. Sanchez, you taught my very first class of my very first semester at seminary. You essentially were my introduction to what it means to be a theologian. And um, so for that alone, I thank you. That was for Lutheran Mind, and I have some of my, my honestly, truly, and I'm not just saying this to flatter you, but some of my best memories from, from seminary and like aha moments were from that class. So I thank you for, for that and for being our guest today. Uh, would you please introduce yourself uh, to our listeners and also maybe share a little bit something about your special musical talent that you have? Yes, thank you very much for this uh, invitation. And Stephanie, I remember you in class as well, and uh, I am glad that it was a blessing to you. We were learning together, <laughs> and uh, and it was a great joy to to be a part of your formation for ministry. My full name is Leopoldo Antonio Sanchez Merino, but I go by Leo, or Leo Sanchez, or Doctor Sanchez, and uh, and uh, I was born in Chile. My mother and her family is from Chile, and I was raised in Panama. My father's family is from Panama. My father went to Chile for university studies. That's where he met mom, and uh, that's where I was born. In Panama for a long time, all the way through high school. Then I came to the United States on a foreign exchange program with a family of farmers in Iowa who happened to be LCMS Lutherans. So I was a Christian already, but they brought me into the Lutheran church. They welcomed me a stranger, an outsider in their midst, a migrant. And uh, that hospitality uh, paid off in, in the Lord's uh, plan. And I ended up uh, going into the ministry in no small way because of their witness and their love. And so the rest is history. Ended up going to one of our Concordias for college, Concordia, Wisconsin, and then uh, Fort Wayne, uh, our sister seminary for the MDiv and St. Louis for the PhD. And I've been now in the United States longer than I was ever uh, in Chile or Panama put together. So I, I am what they call a first generation immigrant to the United States. And uh, I married a German Irish girl <laughs> uh, Tracy from St. Louis, actually, whom I met in college in Wisconsin. And we have two children, Lucas, who's a junior in college, and Anna, who's a junior in high school. And uh, one of the things I love to do when I'm not doing other things is to play the double bass, the string bass. I've been uh, involved with the community, uh, one of our community orchestras here, St. Louis Civic Orchestra, I think for about 15 years now. And I play a principal double bass. Right now we're practicing uh, Beethoven's Sixth Symphony. And uh, 
I think uh, Mozart's uh, Horn Concerto. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. <laughs> oh, that's so fun to get some uh, background. I had no idea. We we knew each other when you were a graduate student and I was working at this seminary, I, I think, uh, in the, the library. And you were a really diligent student who came in and used the library a lot. So I remember you fondly from those times. But to know your musical gifts and your Iowa roots, I... I well, I have Iowa roots, so I'm going to uh, share those with you. You were a sojourner in Iowa, uh, but it's great to hear your story and um, that it's not that you've studied this topic, you've, you've lived it. Mm. So it's wonderful yeah. to have you on with us. Yeah. When people uh, ask me, you know, how can you be a Lutheran, you know, aren't you uh, people with Spanish last names supposed to be Catholic? And I said, I became a Lutheran in Iowa, so don't mess with me. <laughs> you know, this is... Uh, <laughs> Good. Oh yeah, don't mess with Iowa, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's a good rule. Yeah, Midwest Lutheran, right? <laughs> Dr. Sanchez, we have you on today to help us answer a critical question, and uh, it's really a, a question that all Christians, especially those who are concerned about life issues, need to be asking. Hmm. Uh, and the question being, how do we view immigrants or refugees who have arrived in our country? Uh, these are people who either choose to move, and that's what we would um, uh, consider an immigrant, or people who are, are forced to move, so are refugees, from their places of birth uh, to another country. So how do we see them through the eyes of Christ? And this is a question that Christians need to be asking. And uh, I was just looking up, just Googling some basic information, and perhaps it's changed even since this data came out. But according to a recent study, there are approximately 40 million people in the U.S. who were born in a different country. It comes out to be roughly 14% of our U.S. population. The United States has more immigrants than any other country in the world, and more refugees have been resettled in the U.S. than in any other country in the world. Mm -hmm. And so we really have no choice but to ask, how do we care for them? How do we protect them, support them? Uh, mm -hmm. According to our duties, first and foremost, as Christians. Uh, and so you're obviously up for the task because not only like, like uh, Tiffany said, have you lived this, but you have mm -hmm. also written books and then also drafted the CTCR uh, document report titled Immigrants Among Us, a Lutheran Framework for Addressing Immigration Issues. So you are the guy to help us answer these questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, you're right about the, the challenge. Uh, we live at a time worldwide where we have the largest movement of peoples across the globe. So what we experience in the United States is just one piece of a larger global puzzle, you know? So in world history, we've never had so many people on the move. Uh, if you look at the United Nations, we're talking about something like 82.4 million uh, people wow. who are actually forcibly displaced. And that could be either, you know, through persecution or conflict or violence. Uh, human rights violations, or events that seriously disturb the public order. You know, so that's just happening all over the place. And uh, we get to see some of that 
in the United States, but there are other countries too who are going through the same kinds of uh, experiences. And what's interesting too is that out of those 82.4 million or so, about 26.4 would fit maybe the definition of a refugee. Uh, and out of those refugees, about half of them would be under the age of 18. So now you're talking about children and young people being displaced, which I think raises, you know, raises the, uh, the concern, right? How do we protect, how do we speak for, uh, the young among us and, uh, their families? I think the population of children in the world is probably about 42%. Uh, or 30%, I should say about 30%, but about 42% are displaced. So it's this kind of disproportionate, right? I mean, there's a lot of uh, children forcibly displaced and that could include even uh, like within the same country. So they have to move from, not from one country to another, which is a typical definition of a refugee, but displaced even within their own country. And so one of the prayers that I always uh, uh, say is, uh, dear God in heaven, give all displaced peoples around the globe a place they can call home and a church they can call home. You know, and sometimes there isn't a lot we could do with the, the country they can call home because countries have different laws, like all countries do, you know, national states have laws about, uh, entry and how you regulate entry and different categories of migrants and all of that. But as a church and a global church, which is the Lutheran church, right? We're not only a church in the United States, but in other places too, as a church, one of the images that comes to mind for me is from Luther in his uh, commentary on Genesis. He's talking about Abraham's hospitality. Remember to the three strangers at Myra and uh, Luther says, the church is the house of Abraham in the world. He might, you know, if you just think about that for a second, you know, that to be a Christian is to show hospitality, perhaps in a way that nation states might not because they might have their different reasons for their laws, but the Christian church as church in the world should always have a sort of charitable disposition towards people who are displaced, you know, and on the move, but without a place to call home. So at least the church is to be the house of Abraham in the world. And, and to me, that is a, a, a very compelling, uh, way of speaking from a good old Luther. Yeah. Well, and that's over, you know, 500 years ago and how yeah. much more relevant it, is it today now that you're citing the statistic of 82 million globally who are displaced from their mm. home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, that's significant. <laughs> that's a beautiful quote as well. And something mm. that I, I think you, we could even dedicate an entire podcast to digesting exactly what, <laughs> what that means. Yeah. Um, but now just backtracking, you know, a, a little bit, because then we, we've talked about the global situation and, and also what's closer to home for most listeners being that in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, 
please, if you could walk us through, because we're Christians and citizens of heaven, but then, you know, we also um, live within this nation state and, and function under this government. So if, if you could, for just real quick, put a pulse on our current culture and in our, our current United States climate in terms of what is what are people's general disposition as you see it towards uh, immigrants, uh, refugees, um, mm-hmm. apart from just the church? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think basically when you look at the culture, and I am, uh, I'm going to sort of put it this way, uh, perhaps you have uh, people who would say on the one hand, we should welcome the stranger and all vulnerable people and so on. And so uh, an extreme position would be to say, we just need to have open borders. You know, and so let them all in, you know, because uh, we have a moral duty or responsibility to take care of those who are less fortunate. Uh, Then I think on the other hand, you have people who uh, say, well, hold on a second, Uh, not so fast. Uh, As a nation state, we have a responsibility towards those who are kind of within our boundaries. And so that would be citizens and residents of a state. And therefore, we need to have enforcement of laws so that we regulate the entry of those who are foreigners, you know. Now, an extreme position of this would be to say we just need closed borders, you know. So you have your open borders people and you have your closed closed borders peoples. And uh, but it is uh, possible that that is simply what we see in the media, you know, that is to say the media is very good at pointing out the streams, right? But I think probably a lot of people are kind of, although we're a heavily politicized country, I must say, you know, which is part of the reason why we haven't had any kind of comprehensive immigration reform, you know, in over 20 years or so, which is a real problem. Uh, so that just so shows how the, uh, the state is very politicized right now and, and people and so on. But I would venture to say that a lot of people are kind of somewhere in the middle, you know, uh, that uh, no one is against nation states enforcing laws. On the other hand, you also have people who question sometimes the adequacy, the fairness, you know, even the justice at times of some laws, you know, and, uh, and so you have debates the so-called immigration debate, right? And what you see is that you have diff- uh, people arguing for different things. And it's a very complex issue, right? So some people are arguing for human rights. Other people are arguing for labor economic needs. Other people are arguing for border enforcement. Other people are arguing for family unity, you know? which I think in terms of life ministry raises an interesting question, you know, because you're dealing with human dignity issues, then you're dealing with family unity issues. So everyone comes at the immigration issue from a different angle uh, in society. And I think uh, the church should not be afraid in terms of both individual Christians or individual Christians working collectively through social agencies, or perhaps even the church as church 
you know, in a congregation or in a district. You know, we shouldn't be afraid to engage people on some of those issues. Uh, but at some point, we also have to realize that when it comes to the left-hand kingdom, Christians are in different places in terms of their political opinions and their public policy solutions and what they think might be right, fair, and just, you know? And so the church has to say, look, despite of all this stuff, there are still some things that we do as church that need to continue to happen, whether we agree or disagree on the left-hand kingdom issues. And that is that the church is to proclaim the gospel to all people, including migrants and refugees, both here and abroad, whatever their category of visa is, or their lack of visa is, whether they're documented or undocumented, you know, at the end of the day, the church in the right-hand kingdom, right, is called to proclaim the gospel. And I would add there also do the works of mercy that flow from that gospel. And so that we cannot uh, step back from. And that's one of the wonderful things about Lutheran theology of the two kingdoms, right? That even when you disagree on left-hand kingdom issues, you can still agree and have unity on what the mission of the church is among all people, including uh, immigrant uh, neighbors and refugees and so on. Yeah, so you, for me, as a, as a deaconess, these works of mercy that you refer to in, in the church, I, I love how um, you see those uh, very properly in the, the right-hand kingdom and, and the life of the church. And as the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we've got some fantastic mercy work being done by our recognized service organization mm. with immigrants and refugees. Um, and, and particularly, uh, as you mentioned, the, the, the media loves to talk about the extremes. And we've mm -hmm. had some of those as we're recording this in um, the fall of, of 2021. Um, it's it's really been on a lot of people's hearts and minds. And so to talk about the the mercy that not just our recognized service organizations can do, but each local congregation and each Christian and how they um, can can be merciful to um, the people who are are here. Um, in the United States as immigrants and refugees or in other countries around the, the globe. We've, we've got missionaries serving with the Office of International Mission in Germany, working with refugees from, from countries. And, and so I'm, I think, feeling uh, really thankful to be a part of, of Christ Church. And, and while I myself may not do that, there's, there's ways that I can be involved with that work, uh, whether it's supporting these missionaries internationally, our recognized service organizations, and just taking a look at my community locally and saying, who's, who's here? Who's, mm. who are the sojourners here? Uh, whether that's Iowa or uh, <laughs> Chicago, um, out on the East coast, the South, where, wherever it is to take a good look at who the Lord has sent us, who our neighbor is literally nearest us in mm -hmm. our families, our neighbors um, next door to us on the streets and in our towns. There's, there's a lot we can do to people and with these works of, of mercy, but I, you know, I'm a deaconess. I could talk about that all day long. So. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I, I appreciate the shout out to our previous guest, Deaconess Kim Biltman, who you referred to as one of our missionaries over in Germany, who is serving mm. primarily coming from Iran and Iraq. Uh, but uh, Dr. Sanchez for, for listeners who maybe you lost them there at the left hand kingdom and right hand kingdom. Can you 
define those for our listeners who maybe have not been in your Lutheran mind class um, so that they're tracking with us on that? Because I think this is such a helpful distinction in, in this conversation, especially. Yeah. So the two kingdoms or sometimes the two realms really gets at how God works in the world and for what purposes. And so when we think about the left-hand kingdom, sometimes it's called the temporal uh, realm. Uh, and God here works for the sake of his creation through law in order to uh, provide justice and peace among people. And uh, it's, uh, it's really a wonderful thing uh, because otherwise we would have sort of a world in chaos all the time. And so there is a place for uh, God to do his work of bringing about justice and peace temporarily. It is proximate uh, justice and peace in the sense that you're never going to get perfect uh, justice and peace among us uh, and through governments and so on. Uh, but God also works in the world through the right-hand kingdom, or what's called sometimes a spiritual uh, realm. And there God preserves his creation through the proclamation of the word, uh, which justifies before God. And so that's the work of the gospel proclamation and the work of uh, mercy in conjunction with gospel proclamation, you might say. And so... Uh, here we're talking about a perfect uh, justification, right? That uh, we are made righteous and declared righteous before God through faith in Christ and the gospel does that for us. And so the distinction is uh, important because it helps you to distinguish between, you know, that which is eternal, you might say, uh, and uh, the task of the church uh, that's gospel-centered. And also uh, distinguish that from that which is proximate justice, you know. Uh, we're never going to get immigration law reform right in this world. There will always be suffering neighbors, e even despite our best efforts. That doesn't mean that we don't try, you know, we do our, our, our very best. Uh, and there are people whose vocations or whose callings, especially bring them into the realm of government and public policy, you know, and NGOs, and they solve, you know, the big world problems or they try to. And so uh, we thank God for that, you know. Uh, but it helps because I think what it does, the distinction, what it does is that it says, look, even if we disagree on left-hand kingdom, uh, left kingdom issues, uh, on immigration law and reform, uh, we can still have unity in our mission in Christ and reach out to our neighbors. And I think that's very compelling, I think, in many Lutheran circles. Because if people just have fights about how things should be in the left-hand kingdom, then we'll never get to actually reach out to immigrant neighbors with the love of God in Christ, you know? So I think the distinction is helpful for that reason. And also, I think... It, uh, reminds us that our unity is in Christ in the church, not in our uh, positions on the law, you know. Yeah. And so that's how the distinction, I think, is helpful to uh, Lutheran thinking about this. But I have to say, you know, kind of what Tiffany was getting at, too, is that the church also sometimes has to step a little bit into the left-hand kingdom 
as a kind of a corporate citizen, you might say, uh, especially when institutions of the left-hand kingdom are kind of chaotic and not working out, you know, and it's not helping neighbors. And I think there is a place for Christians, either individually and at times even as congregations, to step in and, and help uh, neighbors who are suffering in the left-hand kingdom. One example of this would be Lutheran congregations who serve in areas where you have, uh, you know, a greater number of uh, immigrants, for instance. And so what they might do is, if they are undocumented immigrants, what they might do is provide legal services at affordable prices or pro bono, right? So this is one way in which the church locally, congregationally, as church might have to step in in a place where there is uh, not such service in order to assist neighbors, you know, and show them uh, that they're loved and that they, they, they're concerned about their situation, you know. Uh, refugees is another example. We have here in San Luis now, I think about a thousand Afghan refugees coming in. And so do you have Christian Friends of New Americans, who is a Lutheran organization that works in the city. And there are congregations that are partnering with them so that we're ready to receive the refugees when they come in. And so that means, you know, how do you help people uh, through volunteerism, right? How do you help them settle when they arrive? Do they have a proper home to go into? You know, can you assist them with English uh, as a second language? I mean, there are a lot of things uh, uh, that the church, either as individual Christians or as church, as a congregation can do, you know, to assist and to help our suffering neighbors. I think that it's so helpful that, that you shared all of those different ideas and um, really the, the good work that's being done. But uh, when I, I've... In some of my coursework and in some of the experiences I've had uh, out in um, in the church and in some um, international situations, uh, it, we don't always do it well or or perfectly. And uh, so maybe it'd be good to to hear what um, maybe the the church ought not to do. <laughs> Yeah, like where what are what are some missteps that even even the church can take um, when it comes to tr to trying to be helpful, you know, and especially mm -hmm. this this kind of complication. Although it's a it's a really beautiful and rich part of our theology, but it, sometimes it gets really confusing as a Christian to know how to kind of marry these two concepts and and live in harmony with both right, right hand kingdom and left hand kingdom service and, and mercy. And yeah. so yeah, I think Tiffany's question is really great because if we know maybe some places that the that the church struggles with in serving you know the the sojourner among us mm -hmm. um, we could we could do better but you know then I guess that also there's that question then there's also the question of how does the Christian just properly function so that our our, our left hand kingdom loyalties don't trump the loyalties that we have in the right. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, those are very good questions. I mean, missteps, I think, uh, a misstep, I think, would be to uh, 
not realize that there are different uh, legitimate points of departure uh, when thinking about immigration, you know, and uh, not to recognize that, uh, as I said before, you know, you have people who are concerned about law, other people are concerned about love your neighbor. In fact, when I was drafting the CTCR document, uh, one of the things that uh, was discussed was, you know, how would the document show that we need to love our neighbor, our immigrant neighbor, you know, and really press on that point. And then other uh, others in the group said, how do we also press the point about obedience to authority and, and, and the laws that they enact and that kind of stuff, you know? So it was like a, a fifth commandment, love your neighbor, and a fourth commandment thing. <laughs> mm. And uh, I think the church could be a place where we could have civil dialogue about things like that, you know, at, uh, and not embody sort of the divisive political tribalism that, uh, that, that people exhibit often uh, in society in the United States, you know? So, uh, if someone comes over and says, what about illegal? Do you not understand? Well, they're probably talking about, of course, undocumented immigrants and they're talking about legality questions. And so they're framing things in terms of legality, legality. Uh, but there you'll have someone who say, well, what about love your neighbor? Do you not understand? Well, see, they're, they're, they have a legitimate concern too, right? They're, they're framing, uh, the issue in terms of hospitality, you know, in contrast to, let's say, uh, hostility, you know, towards neighbors. Uh, someone else might say, what about, uh, make disciples of all nations that you not understand? Well, see, they're pointing out the, the mission which the church is called to. The church is not called to, uh, you know, f uh, provide public policy for the government. The church is called to make disciples of all nations. So, you know, uh, then someone else might say, you know, what about uh, not taking care of your families, being worse than a non-believer? Do you not understand? <laughs> you see, in which kings they're talking about family unity, you know, uh, that that for for some people is kind of a stopping point, especially when you think about conservative uh, uh, evangelicals or even Lutherans. I would say, you know, when you start messing with the family. And the family unity, and children separated at the border from at that at that separated from the, at the border uh, from their families. You know, people start thinking, you know, maybe this is not a good thing. And so, where does the family aspect of this whole thing and the marriage unity and the children uh, fall into place? So, I think we the church is a place. I think where all of these concerns could be dealt with through the scriptures because the scriptures do call us to obey the authorities. It doesn't mean that you agree with everything the authorities do. And at times for the sake of the rule of law, you have to say, you know, the system is broken in some areas and it has to be fixed. And you can raise awareness about that. Other people will press on love your neighbor, others on the family unity, others on the uh, make disciples of all nations, and all of those are legitimate concerns, and even theologically can be uh, handled or dealt with. You know, I think the other thing uh, to your other question about loyalties in the left-hand kingdom and the right-hand kingdom, uh, here I think, you know, it's important also to recognize another Lutheran teaching. 
And the CTCR document gets into this in the last chapter, which is vocation. Vocation comes from the Latin vocatio, right? Calling. So we have all been called by God to serve neighbors in different spheres of life, whether as a pastor or as a lawyer, you know, or as a, uh, 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 you know, someone who works in the food industry or a teacher or a mother, a deaconess, right? All of this. And so I think that's one way in which you think about loyalties, you know, uh, what am I called to do in my vocation that I think can frame how you serve neighbors, you know? So if I'm a lawyer, right. And I have neighbors who are migrants, maybe part of what I do is to advocate for, uh, what, uh, within the law one can, uh, advocate for and assist them, you know, whether that's pro bono work or whatever, because that's your vocation. You know, uh, if I, uh, if I have a member of my family, uh, who, uh, is a refugee, well, then I have responsibility towards them as a family member. You see, uh, I have a story about this. I had a student at the seminary who wanted to talk about uh, immigration. And he was thinking too much in terms of the law, you know, like the macro picture, the laws in this country and what do we do about them and stuff. And uh, eventually I had a conversation with him, you know, what is, what, what really is bothering you? There's something else going on here. And he said, well, what happens is that my daughter married an undocumented immigrant. See, so for him, the issue wasn't just the law. The issue was that he's a father to his, you know, uh, daughter and he has a son-in-law. Now it's a family issue, you know? And then he said, and I'm a grandpa too, see? Cause they had a little baby. So now as a grandfather and as a father and as a father-in-law, right? In those vocations, he's gonna do everything possible, you know, to make sure that uh, everything is exhausted all, all means possible so that that family stays together. Vocation has a lot to do with what does it mean to be faithful to God's word in particular situations and contexts where you're actually serving neighbors, which to me means you got to put a human face on the immigration issue. We can talk about this all day long in terms of the theological frameworks, but uh, we have to put a human face on the, on the, on the issue. And then ask, which neighbors am I talking about? You see, and then how can I serve them better or best within the vocations I've been given? You know, what does it mean to, uh, obey God's commandments? It's very, uh, abstract and, uh, to say, love your neighbor It's too general, right? Who is my neighbor? If everybody's my neighbor, nobody's my neighbor. So you got to put a human face on these issues and ask, like, kind of like what uh, you were saying earlier, Tiffany, you know, who are the, the ones in my community? Where are the refugees and the immigrants here? And once you put a human face on that, then you can say, what are their needs? What are their gifts? What are the best ways in which we can serve and partner, you know, to make lives better? And learn from. And yeah. our lives enriched by people with a variety of backgrounds and languages. So 
So it's, it's not something that we're just always doing. Sometimes we're receiving great gifts and blessings from our relationships with uh, fellow sojourners. Yep. Uh-huh, yep. Uh-huh. Very good. Very good point. Um, and what I'm hearing you say, Dr. Sanchez, is that we could talk all day until we're blue in the face about the the different like entry points into the conversation, specifically about left-hand kingdom service toward our immigrant mm-hmm. neighbor among us. But now maybe we can, you know, direct the conversation toward something we we can more pinpoint. <laughs> and that was would be uh, how do we serve and love our neighbor under uh the right hand kingdom and in the gospel work and really what motivates us. And uh, you have a very, uh, what you would consider a very creedal way of approaching this answer. So would you be willing to teach us that? (laughs) Yes. From the creed, right. Where we have the three articles on creation and redemption in Christ and, uh, and then the work of the Holy spirit in our midst. So yeah, sometimes I like to, to think of uh, the motivation for serving uh, migrant neighbors uh, along those lines. I mean, when you think about, you know, the father of Israel, right, reaches out to uh, elects, right, a, a, a little nation and blesses that nation. But what's interesting is that uh, uh, one of the a predominant stories, right, of the Exodus is that this is a nation of aliens. God's people themselves are aliens in Egypt <laughs> and outsiders, you know. And uh, and so uh, Yahweh reminds, uh, you know, uh, Egypt uh, that uh, they're oppressing the alien. And then later, God has to remind Israel because you know, Israel is blessed by God. And then they begin to encounter outsiders and uh, God has to also remind them to love the aliens because they too were aliens in Egypt. <laughs> so there is a heart in, in Yahweh, right? In, in God, in the father of Israel, there's, there's a heart towards vulnerable neighbors, right? So the command to love, uh, uh, the neighbor often includes vulnerable people like widows, right? The, the fatherless, the poor, and the alien is also thrown in there. So I think Christ then, you know, moving on to the second article, Christ himself in his saving work embodies Yahweh's concern for the outsider, even though he comes to a mission uh, uh, for the house of Israel. There are many encounters of Jesus with outsiders, right? We think of the uh, Syrophoenician woman, uh, the daughter of uh, Jairus. Uh, One of my favorite is uh, the healing of the Samaritan leper. So the healing of the 10 lepers in Luke 17, where we're told that Jesus is walking along the border, interesting language, between Samaria and Galilee. And if you were a self-respecting Jew, you weren't supposed to be walking along Samaria and Galilee because, you know, Galilee is too close to the Gentiles and the Samaritans are the enemies of God's people. But where no one else there is to walk, Jesus walks. And so he heals the 10 lepers and the one who comes back is the Samaritan leper. And the, and Jesus asks, has anyone else come to give thanks, you know, but this foreigner? <laughs> 
you know, so Jesus embodies, you know, the hospitality of Yahweh, bringing outsiders into the kingdom, outsiders that nobody thought could actually be a part of our life together, you know, and so we learn something there. And also that this ministry of Jesus uh, cares for uh, both the spiritual and temporal needs of neighbors, you know, providing, uh, the word of the kingdom of, uh, gospel and salvation, but also providing a healing. And, uh, and then of course, I mean, if, if we move to life in the spirit in, in the, in the new Testament, and especially in the book of Acts, you see the same kind of concern for outsiders. Think of, uh, well, deacon and evangelist. Uh, uh, Philip, right, in the book of Acts, right, reaching out to the Greek-speaking Jewish widows who felt left out the distribution of food. There was a kind of a cultural, linguistic uh, division there of sorts. And they're reaching out to the Samaritans who were not seen as worthy of receiving God's blessings. And yet they too received the spirit and baptism in the name of Jesus. And of course, the Ethiopian eunuch, another outsider, not fully in the temple, although a God fear. So, you know, are these people in or are they out? And it turns out to everyone's surprise from a human point of view, surprise that they are in because, you know, God is the one who elects. And so I think the biblical narrative, you know, you can see God's concern for the outsider, the, the alien, you know, the forgotten, the vulnerable. And I think, uh, that is a narrative I think we can tap into, you know, as we think about what it means to be the house of Abraham in the world, mm. uh, you know. Well, and then in addition to that very, you know, creedal look at how we might approach care for neighbors in this way, and you also mentioned, I, I guess I would say, three different ways among, you know, our, our, our within our Christian faith that we can approach this as well. And that's one that you've already mentioned. So caring for the immigrant neighbor through the lens of Christology and the Spirit's ministry. Mm-hmm. And then earlier you mentioned, of course, vocation. So caring mm-hmm. for these neighbors through the lens of our vocations and then the table of duties and in the uh, catechism. And then you also mentioned earlier, caring for our neighbor through the lens of the commandments, specifically the fourth mm. and fifth commandments. So yeah, not only have you taught us this beautiful f- framework through um, the lens of the Apostles' Creed, but also just through the lens of our Christian theology and biblical theology mm. as a whole, which is just beautiful. And it's complicated, but not at this the same time. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the, that that maybe line we have to walk, or just praying for for wisdom and and discernment and eyes open to see, wow, well, who is my literal neighbor? As mm. you and Tiffany have said, within my congregation, down my street, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, who do I work with? Who would who would fit under under this? And then yeah. how do I care for them? It's amazing, isn't it, that as Lutherans, we have so much in our theological, biblical toolbox, <laughs> you know, to get at this. I mean, we can't drink out of the hose, you know, in the one sitting. <laughs> yeah. And we've, we've shared a lot here already, you know, 
But so I think it's one of those things where you have to come back to it and then sort of, uh, you know, inwardly digest, but don't show it all in right away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to go little by little here, you know, uh, this is a five course meal kind of yeah, stuff, okay. you know. And you're saying slow down, Stephanie, slow down the train. Well, and I'm speaking, you know, for myself too. Uh, <laughs> we could, I mean, there's a lot in there in our own tradition, you know, uh, and uh, that can help us, I think. And on the vocation piece, if I may add something to that, since you mentioned that last, uh, I think it's important also not only to think uh, as an individual. See, this is the, uh, the, the case of the father that I mentioned earlier and the grandfather, who was thinking as an individual, what do I do with, you know, the mess that is immigration law today? Because, you know, if one thing, uh, if Republicans and Democrats agree on one thing, is that the system is broken. Yeah. You know, so I mean, if you, if you, if you're only thinking how as an individual, I can make a difference with all this stuff, it gets pretty big. It becomes a huge burden and then you do nothing, you know, you're paralyzed by fear. So what I recommend too, say you think of vocation collectively. In other words, who are some neighbors who have a passion for helping you know, migrants and then seek out those neighbors and join those agencies and organizations and groups that are focused on that and who have considerable talent and energy and, and resources. And so don't think only about what can I do as an individual, think about also what can I do with groups of people who have a passion and an interest and, a, 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 you know, feel have a duty to attend to these neighbors in particular. And so go find those neighbors and work with them. The church can facilitate civil conversation and dialogue, even among Christians on left-hand issues. That's better than being driven by fear, where you hold on to just one issue, you know. Uh, and so I think that there was that we can facilitate that. And on the right-hand kingdom, uh, I would say love drives out fear, right? <laughs> So the, the love of God in Christ, uh, and, uh, you know, should help me see people with the eyes of faith as opposed to through the eyes of the flesh. This is a distinction that Luther uses in his, uh, lectures on Genesis when he's talking about Abraham's hospitality. He says, we can either look at the outsider and the stranger through the eyes of the flesh, in which case they're an obstacle to us. Another thing, in other words, we're only thinking in terms of their liabilities they might bring or, you know, that kind of, but if we look at neighbors through the eyes of the, of faith, then we can see them as God's gift to us. Now, could you imagine the difference? I mean, seeing the neighbor simply in terms of potential negative things or liabilities, as opposed to seeing the neighbor as a gift from God, um, who, for whom Christ died. Yeah, I think that that's a, a way that we could really boil down any life issue. Um, I think Tiffany would agree is that are we seeing people, not just our immigrant neighbor, not just our neighbor who is a refugee, but are we seeing 
people, the elderly, the unborn as a liability, as an obstacle Mm -hmm. through the eyes of our flesh, or are we seeing them through the eyes of Christ, as you said, as a, as a Mm -hmm. gift, Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful way of really putting what our theology is on, on life and in life ministry. So thank you Mm -hmm. for giving us the words for that too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this is Luther, right? I'm taking credit for Luther. Oh, okay. All right, right. Luther. Thank you, Luther. Yeah. Uh, well, Dr. Sanchez, you you echoed Luther. And so in that sense, you're a very smart man yourself. Um, finally, just wrapping up here, in the CTCR report that you drafted, you kind of launched off in different sections of the report, the um, Bible verse, the scripture passage that is from Leviticus 19. And um, I'm going to read this here because I don't have it memorized, but Leviticus 19 says, when a stranger sojourns with you in the land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so really, you have said in your in your report that our immigrant neighbor is quite simply our neighbor who we're called to love. How does this Levitical law here translate to our 21st century context? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that the document uh, mentions, the CTCR document, uh, Immigrants Among Us, is that the, the scriptures don't really provide a blueprint for immigration policy in the 21st century. You know, in other words... Because they were written uh, in another time. But what the scriptures do provide is a moral compass, you see. Uh, uh, It it provides, you know, with this command to love the neighbor, which also includes uh, the migrant, the sojourner, uh, the outsider, and so on. Uh, It provides, I think, a, um, a call to a basic sort of disposition and attitude. So rather than first, uh, rather than first asking, you know, um, what's the problem with the migrant? That shouldn't be the way we lead. We first should be asking, how can I love the migrant? Now, then you might get into other discussions about like, how do I do that? You know? And how do I do it in a way that I also take care of my own country, fellow country, man and woman, or something like that? You know what I mean? But the, the, the first step should not be seeing them as obstacles, right? The first step should be uh, this uh, move towards hospitality, you know, leading with hospitality. And I think that's what the command reminds us of, that whatever uh, historical circumstance you're in, uh, this is something that should guide uh, God's people at any time, you know, regardless of the uh, legal condition in a particular country of a migrant, I think God's command stands, you know, so you just have to kind of figure it out, you know, what does that look like then more concretely? And to get to that point, then I think uh, there are just many different ways in which you can assist uh, both migrants and refugees completely within the bounds of the law, even in the United States, you know. And uh, there's much, much that can be done. I mean, there are ways in which you can, as I mentioned earlier, 
there are ways in which you can welcome refugees, you know, who are being resettled into the United States. And that means even basic things like airport pickups, you know, it could be uh, apartment setups, you know, uh, English lessons, volunteering for that. I mean, there are basic things that are accessible to many people, right? So I think what it takes is, or there are times where you could do things that might be a little bit more difficult, like visiting detention centers and things like that. Uh, there are ways that you can petition the government at, as a citizen, you know, and uh, there are organizations that can help you speak to your congressman or woman on, on some of these issues. There, there are uh, programs where you can send uh, Christmas, uh, Christmas cards to kids in detention centers. I mean, there are all kinds of stuff that one can tap into um, to assist uh, migrants and uh, refugees in our midst. And so what I would encourage people is, you know, to maybe get in contact with some of those uh, uh, Lutheran social agencies who have a particular heart for this kind of thing and let people who are in those vocations kind of lead you individually or your congregation to figure out what are some ways to assist. And one resource to help you get in touch with some of those organizations would be our recognized service organization directory. So uh, you could go to lcms.org, you know, online, just lcms.org and a slash RSO and type in to the search bar for the recognized service organizations, immigrant, and uh, you'll find organizations that are, are serving all over the country. Or you can reach out to us um, via email. Steph's going to share that uh, as we, we wrap up the episode. But we'd love to help uh, people get connected and, and work together. Um, you mentioned you know, hospitality, and, and then you, you gave us a whole list of uh, the different types of, of works of mercy. And um, but I can't um, get away from thinking that that really the hospitality is what we've received also. I mean, and even that verse that Steph read us um, and about sojourning with, I mean, it was Christ um, who has given us the, the ultimate hospitality. And in a sense, we're all sojourners here because um, he will return and um, we'll have, all have a home in the new earth that's mm. going to be created for us. Um, so as we're we're neighbors together. We're strangers in this land that's not quite as it, it should be. And, and that's really obvious when we're talking about immigration and, and refugees and, and people who are displaced from their homes. But uh, but, but Christ will, will remake for us this, this world so it's uh, as it should be, and we'll all have a home together. So that's also, of course, why we want to um, witness to Christ so that, that more people do get to share that, that new earth with us. Amen. 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 Dr. Sanchez, I cannot wait to be your neighbor also in the new heavens and new earth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Likewise, likewise. It, is, it will be a time for fiesta. Yes. <laughs> Which I think, speaking of hospitality, you and your wife were so kind when I was at the seminary too. So hospitable as to treat us to some of your delicious meals, whether they were from your time in Chile or <laughs> Panama, but they were awesome. And I do remember that your family was incredibly hospitable. So not only do you preach 
this stuff, but you actually practice it too. And I uh, thank you for that. Yeah, I, I think there was very little left of any food after you guys came through. So I, I think you were very happy with it. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you have a bunch of poor seminary students and you offer yeah, them. That's a right. There's no leftovers. <laughs> thank you so much, My Dr. Pleasure. For joining us today. And thank you, Tiffany, for joining me today. It was fun to have you along with me for this ride. Oh, this is a great conversation to have. Do we have to end? We could just keep on talking about Jesus and loving people and just all day. But yeah, I bet that Dr. Sanchez has to go teach another class about now. So yeah, thank you again for joining us. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. And don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button on your app so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. New episodes drop twice each month. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Well, email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life. 